Hello, and welcome to True Horrors with Meg and Rachel. Every week, we discuss a horror film and the true stories that inspired, influenced, or bear striking resemblance to them. Be warned for spoilers and adult themes. I'm Rachel. And I'm Meg. And this is True Horrors. You want to give us like a thumbs up or something? I feel like every time we're, we always do the same thing where it's like, are we good? Can we start? We're getting lots of thumbs up. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode. We're just going to keep that all in. I want always, all of it. Always, always a mess. Always keep it all in. Always keep always. it all in. <laughs> well, I feel like there's been a couple times where I've thought we were recording and I've started with a lot of enthusiasm and you both are like, we are not recording. <laughs> like, that was for nothing. Yeah. I will uh, say all my favorite podcasts are ones where the intros are just a mess. Oh, can I say, because every time we record, like two hours later, I think to myself, we forgot to tell people to like our social media and to subscribe to the podcast, which I know is something that's done at the end, but we're going to forget and we're going to forget two times. So it's going to be another two weeks because we, we like... I think if we look back, I think we've only said it in like three of the episodes so far. Like we continually know, that's your, forget. That's your job. To remember that. <laughs> to remember anything. Exactly. That's why we're doing it at the top. I don't know. I just thought that we had done it. But yeah, if we've done it like three times, that could be what I'm remembering. Oh, we've definitely done it. But every week we go through, I mean, when we listen back to these, we'll see. But I- I'm pretty sure we remember like... It's, it's not a 50-50, but it's fairly close to a 50-50. So I just want to say, um, if you don't already, please follow us on social media, share the episodes, rate and review on on um, Apple Podcast. I almost said iTunes. Um, I mean. It's kind of similar. Yeah. I don't know. I don't use the podcast app. No. We've which I think we've that. talked about the yeah. fact that you're the, you're the only one who uses this one. Whenever I see the stats, I'm like, well, Rachel listened to it. That's nice. <laughs> oh, Rachel downloaded it. It doesn't, it doesn't tell whether or not anyone listens to it. Downloading is all you have to do. So true. So true. <laughs> Everyone's just downloading it and not listening. Sometimes uh, I'll get like a podcast that I subscribe to and I'm like, oh, I don't think I want to listen to this one. But I'm like, I'm still going to download it though. So they get that, that sweet, sweet ad revenue. I definitely I think it. you're the only person who thinks that way though. It's kind of like with the um, participating in like surveys and stuff, Yeah. how you're very dedicated or like, here's a great story. When Rachel and I first became friends, <laughs> One of the first things that I was like, oh, this is a special person, like a couple of years into our friendship is the fact that Rachel would get her ballot for voting, not like an even presidential in any vote. And she would go online and research every candidate to figure out who she wanted to vote for. Everyone, even in doesn't matter what the election is, doesn't matter what the position she would research. And I was like, yeah, we're gonna be friends for life. You know, the funny thing is I would do all that research and then I would just vote for the Democrat every time. <laughs> But I had to be like, maybe, maybe in this like school board election, like maybe this, you know, but no, it was always. I know. And me, I'm just like, nah, down ballot. I'm like, is there a faster way to do this? Just like (laughs) (laughs) vote by party. So you picked this week. I did. And you picked. Rosemary's Baby. I've gotten some heat about this one, by the way. Have you really? That it's not technically horror. How is it not technically horror? 
that she it's gets like raped by the devil and then gives birth to that baby that it's like not horror until the end because you don't really that gets like thriller it's like you don't really know what's going on until the end and so it's not like traditionally horror and i was like I think though it works. I think like I I do understand though cuz I've only seen this movie twice and the first mm-hmm. time I was watching it if I hadn't known the ending, which I think it's hard for people not to know the ending yeah. of this movie at this point. If I hadn't known, I would have been like what the fuck am I watching this whole time? And I definitely would have been mad if someone was like watch this horror movie with me cuz I'd have been like where is the horror? <laughs> because like there were a bunch of times in this movie where I was like if they were just a cult that wanted to eat her baby, this movie would still make just as much sense. Yeah. Like, like that's the thing is that like, and I'm not, I'm not mad about this movie at all. It's just more that I'm like, it's, it's a very strange movie. And I do not even mean the fact that the devil rapes her. Like, that's not even the part I think, like, I just think that it's presented in a very strange way. I don't think there's enough horror tension like there's enough spooky stuff that happens in this movie so it's like I feel like this movie with very few changes could have been there is no supernatural force they literally just want to steal her baby or c no one's doing anything and she really has lost her mind like I feel like that all of those are really possible because we don't get like a ton of spookiness Mm -hmm. which I love a good spookiness so like that I do but like Overall, I do think the second time around the movie's more enjoyable because mm-hmm. I think it I think it's fun to pick up on stuff once right. you've seen it. I think that there's a lot of really great acting, a lot of really subtle moments that you don't know what the fuck is happening. I remember there were a lot of scenes of like them talking and stuff the first time I watched it where I was like, why are you why am I a part of this conversation? Why is this? Yeah. And then I'd watch it again and be like, ooh, that's funny. That's clever. Yeah. Look at that. So I would say that if you you watch this movie for us, for this podcast, and it was the first time, I would say give it a bit and watch it again, because it really is fun to watch a second time. Yeah, I agree. Trying to figure out if it's too soon to go into what a creep Roman Polanski is. Is it too soon for that? Or is it the exact right time for that? Well, are we talking about in relation to the fact that he made this movie or in relation to his life? Kind of all of it. Because like- he is. He is a creep. And I just, I feel like there are some choices that he makes that really highlight that. Like, obviously, the fact that I have officially seen Mia Farrow's nipples more times than I've seen anyone else's nipples. And I work with children. And I have to help them change sometimes. Like, but you, again, we never see anyone else's nipples. But I was, um, when I was doing some like background research for my story to see if there was any sort of direct inspiration. I found out some behind the scenes stuff. And one of them is that, you know, that scene where Mia Farrow just wanders into traffic. Yeah. Yeah. She actually wandered into traffic and it's real cute because the articles were like, "Mm, Roman Polanski suggested she wander into traffic because he was like, I don't think anyone would hit a pregnant woman. And it's not a suggestion when it comes from the director. My boss suggested that I come to work on time. Like, that's not a suggestion. That's, that's an instruction. And then the book that it's based on, it's very, very clear that it's supernatural, that the devil is behind this. But Roman Polanski was like, I really want to go for some ambiguity here. I'm like, so in a movie where something horrible, where a woman is raped and then everyone gaslights her, you want the movie to be like, mm, maybe this didn't actually happen. Maybe she is the crazy one, which like in light of everything we know about Roman Polanski now is like real gross and 
creepy. Can I just say that if he thought that, then he's also bad at directing. He's also bad at really bad at directing then because there's not a single moment in this movie where I think an audience member, like I said, that could be one of the, one of the things with a few script changes that could be Mm -hmm. in this movie. Nothing about it feels ambiguous. There's not a single moment. Everyone is suspicious as fuck. Everyone's creepy as fuck. There's not a single moment we're watching this in any reality you would think maybe she's crazy it's very clear something has happened whether it's witches or whether it's they just want to steal her baby Mm -hmm. i mean no like then he's just bad at acting or bad at um directing but like the thing with roman polanski is yes he is a creep and you can look at this movie and say he did things that show he's a creep. But I would also argue there's a little bit of like perception bias in that, in the Mm -hmm. sense that we know he's a creep. There are things in here that are creepy, that it's like, if a director isn't also a rapist, people aren't gonna be like, that's creepy. And I would maintain it is creepy either way. Like we've gotten a little bit more open about talking about women being naked in movies when it's completely unnecessary. And where it's like, what what are you trying to show with that? And like, clearly it is something because we're not getting those full frontal shots of the man. You are like, why do they need to be naked in the scene? And there wasn't really an answer to that. Like, Mm -hmm. it's one thing to be like, oh, we're showing this husband and wife having sex because like, we want to show like the good times. They were really in love. They were really like cute, whatever. But like the amount of naked she had to get for that scene when they were like having sex when they first moved in, I was just like, I don't understand why. And then I also didn't like any of the shots of her when she was being raped, Mm -hmm. which were shots that were sexualizing. Because there Mm -hmm. is a way to show someone naked that isn't meant to be sexualization. Right. Like we, we are capable of doing that and of having the way the camera angles, like the way it um pans like there's a lot of discussion about like how the camera pans women especially in action movies that's Mm -hmm. meant to be for a male gaze as opposed to just being like this is what she's wearing and this is what she looks like like look at her cool outfit there's a difference it's it's with the gaze and like Mm -hmm. there's something extra gross about her being naked for this rape scene and the camera sort of like going over her body like that in a way that's just like okay i know what you want from this like person who's directing and like it it was it was very odd to me in general but i almost don't know if we can put that down to him being a creep because i think that just goes to the more general aspect of movies being creepy towards naked women so it's like it's not just Roman Polanski in that it's everybody and yeah, also Roman Polanski's a rapist which I mean I mean this is like the Hitchcock thing mm-hmm. like the stuff about him telling her to walk into traffic I mean that's pure Hitchcock like yeah. that kind of nonsense and that kind of way that directors and producers will treat young, especially young actresses mm-hmm. and they feel a sense of obligation and again like Rachel and I both knew these things and we chose to watch this movie I really like Mia Farrow so it's one of those things that we always feel a need to talk about because in these horror movies especially there have been a lot of times um where female actresses have been really abused and the idea is it's for the art when really there are tons of really great movies out there that are about horrible things that didn't require abusing the actors it just Mm -hmm. required people having talent like so, all right, we did our Roman Polanski is yep, the worst. We, all right, we got that out of the way. 
I hate the la 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 in the beginning and not in a creepy sense and just a stop right yeah. now. Yeah. It's, it went on for way too long. Yeah. Which also you um, said a while back that it seemed like if he was going for ambiguity, he's just a bad director. There were a lot of times I was watching this where I'm like, he's a bad director. Why do people mm-hmm. think he's such a genius? Like, I like this movie, but he's not a good director. Also, is there another movie he's well known for? I don't know. I, I literally probably... only know him in relation to this movie. And you're right. Like, it's a good movie, but it's not so so good that I would be like, oh, like the brilliance of his mind. Mm-hmm. It's it relies a lot on the story and it revolves around a lot. It relies a lot upon the actors mm-hmm. who are really given it, like really mm-hmm. given some great performances. And I just don't think it's one of those things where I'm like, wow, the direction of this of this movie, like overall, like it is. It's very odd. Like there are a lot of odd choices in this. Mm-hmm. And again, I I forget what movie I did this in before, but I definitely marked when I felt, oh, I did it in Chucky. Oh. I definitely marked where, when it started actually being tense and scary. And it was mm-hmm. like an hour and a half into this goddamn long movie. Like, it was so long. China also, Town I hate that fountain. Movie. What? Chinatown is his other big movie. He's Chinatown. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Which I I've have never seen and have no I've interest seen in seeing it. I've seen it. And like, I, it was, again, it was well acted. It was yeah. really well acted. Like, it's Chinatown. By the way, when they said that in the movie, I was like, ah, they said the thing. And it's like not appropriate in the moment. Like, it's a really, <laughs> it's a really bad moment when they say it. Isn't that the last line of the movie? Yeah, the movie yeah. doesn't end happily. like and I'm like ah they said it really sad what happened to that girl but they said it (laughs) um also um I hated that fountain I fucking hated that fountain I know that that's really petty but when they walk into the building and it's like this old gorgeous building and then there's that stupid fountain I was like I hate that fountain I literally can't remember the fountain I then wrote the fact that this trash actor is going to allow his wife to be raped um, for his career is infuriating. I wrote a lot about how one thing I will say to this movie, and again, it's based on a book, but Rowan Polanski could have changed whatever he wants. Mm -hmm. She's a great wife and she loves him and she is a hype woman for that man. She is all about he was in this and he was in this and he's going to be great. Mm hmm. And it makes it even worse Mm -hmm. that he, he sells her. There's nothing else. He sells this woman who loves him so much and would like, is doing anything for him. Just wants a baby Mm -hmm. like to, and is just like catering to his ego and his career. And he sells her. And it's like, it's not like it would be okay if she was terrible, but they go out of their way to be like, but she isn't, she's Mm -hmm. a great wife to him. And he's just like, I also wrote that I understand the devils in this movie and he's a rapist, but I hate Guy more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause like Definitely. that betrayal to do that to somebody who loved you that much, like mm-hmm. who trusted you and then to continue to gaslight them. This movie is my nightmare. And again, not the parts with the devil in it. Like <laughs> he is so terrible. 
throughout this entire movie, the way that she is gaslit mm-hmm. is just like, if anyone was like, I don't really understand what gaslighting is. Like, I don't understand how it can be like emotionally abusive and like drive someone insane. I'd be like, watch Rosemary's baby and understand mm-hmm. that she was raped by the devil and he allowed it. Like, mm-hmm. and then you watch this movie and it's just like, I would also say this movie should almost be shown. You know how when you're in high school and they're like, it's not the sex ed class, but it's the relationship like unit where they're talking about healthy relationships. I don't think we had that. Oh, we definitely had like a unit in our health class about like healthy relationships and like domestic violence and stuff. And I would say for when they do like the verbal like abuse and manipulation and stuff, they should just show that scene with the moose where not an animal moose, the moose he makes her eat that's drugged. <laughs> I saw it in your eyes. I saw it in your eyes, Rachel. I was so confused. I was like, did I watch this movie? <laughs> Rachel and I have known each other for a long time, people. And over Skype, I could see in her eyes, she thought I meant a real moose. No. <laughs> yes, the, the chocolate moose with the chalky undertaste. Nothing's ever good enough for you. Like, uh-huh. fine, I get... It made it just like it made me f- like feel really panicky inside because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that's classic manipulation. Like, and mm-hmm. there is something wrong with it, and she knows there's something wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! I just god. like the worst part of this movie is that he doesn't die at the end. I'm just gonna say it. Yeah, one hundred percent. Also, to stick with what a creep he is, the next morning when she wakes up and she. She knows what happened to her. And he pretends that instead he was the one who raped her and then gave all these excuses. He's like, well, you know, I had a few too. I mean, granted, this was the late 60s and I don't know that marital rape was considered a thing um, because that's a pretty recent thing in our like understanding. But like still, I I wrote, I was like, I don't know which is worse. The fact that he gave her to this cult or what he is saying right now. The thing is, is they do play it like it was a violation if he did it because Mm -hmm. they do have a conversation about having to move past it and stuff and having to, because she says, I was like, the part that really got me is when she said, I dreamt I was being raped by a beast. And he's like, oh, thanks. Like, yes, because it's like, he's admit, like she was completely knocked out and, and she has those scratches on her that could not be done by human nails. They're too thin. Mm -hmm. Like. And just like basically saying, and she's just like, we could have done it at any point. Like mm-hmm. we could have like had sex. It's so sad mm-hmm. and it's so horrible. Like he's basically, the thing is, if, if he wanted to say that and be a little bit less of a creep, like at least come off that way, he could have been like, oh my God, did we? Like, I got really drunk too. Like, who knows what happened? Like, right. he was just full on being like, yeah, I totally had sex with you while you were passed out. Like, yeah. what you gonna do about it? It's the 60s. Like, <laughs> it was so messed up. Also, I wrote this down specifically for you. What is her accent? She says she's from the Midwest. What is that accent? Or Missouri or something? I have no idea. It's not an accent I've ever heard. It's a not human a human person's has. accent. Yeah. I was like, what is that? But I'm like, if anyone knows, if, if anyone's going to be like, oh, that's the kind of accent that people used in movies or whatever, it would be Rachel. I was going to say, it It does remind me of the Mid-Atlantic accent that they made up for movies. But like, it's not fully that. I don't. I don't know what her accent is supposed to be. Also, 
when they're in the basement doing laundry, mm-hmm. that was a real noise they both heard and then neither investigated nor <laughs> did anything about. And I'm like, I would have been running out of that basement so, but it was a real noise. It was really loud. And they were like, oh, I hate this basement. I'm like, that's your response? What is that? It's not even like, oh, there must be rats where I'd be like, oh, it's not a rat, hun. No, they were just like, oh, you know what basements are like? Is that what basements are like? Like, what is that noise? Yeah, no, I don't know. Oh, did they paint that original wood fireplace? I have no idea, but probably. Like, I was like, what did you just do? I was like, this, this is going on my list of reasons that these people, like, absolutely not. But no, when they go in there to look, I was pretty sure it was original wood, and then they paint everything white. Because it's the 60s, and that's how expensive, that's how you know it's expensive. Mm -hmm. So you know they have money. Yep. Not the fact that they live in this giant apartment. Also, this is why I don't talk to my neighbors. This right here. <laughs> I would they're gonna they're gonna let the devil rape you. Because if they want to talk to me, that's probably what they want. Like, <laughs> I'm just saying that every movie I've ever seen where the neighbors act like a community like that, it's like when a work tells you we're more like a family and yeah. you know that means that they're gonna take advantage of you. If an entire building is friends you know that's not healthy. Like, you know there's something wrong. Like, I watched another horror movie that um, it, it turned out the apartment building, it was kind of like, they were, they, it was a cult, basically. And they imprisoned her. And not for the devil, just for normal cult reasons. Just normal cult reasons. But I was like, they're all too friendly. Them all hanging out and stuff. I'm like, I don't trust that. That's not real life. Like, this is why I don't talk to my neighbors. Like, yeah. absolutely not. Like, I don't want to know your business. The dinner they have with the couple is really interesting when you know what they're actually doing. The things they say and the way they kind of are leading to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. Also, did they at any point, I wonder, talk about the idea of just making the deal with Rosemary? Like, I'm not saying she would have allowed it to happen, but I also think that's a really interesting thing that they went to Guy. And I, I don't know if that's because she revealed she was religious at dinner. And so they thought she wouldn't. But like, if you already think you can manipulate one person to be like, hey, have like, let us rape your wife and take the baby and just like gaslight her for nine months. Like, is it really that crazy to think that they'd be like, okay, we're going to drug you. You'll be completely knocked out. The devil will rape you. And that, you know, I'm not saying it's like a good plan. I'm just saying that like, was it a part of it that they had to do this as well? Was that part of how it like cooked the devil baby? Was her being this afraid all the time? Like, or was Guy just like, you're laughing, but I have real questions about this cult and how they operate. You have more questions than anyone else involved in this movie or I the know. writing of the book. <laughs> also, I wrote politeness strikes again, the real enemy of this movie, mm-hmm. which that also really made me mad because I'm from the Midwest, as you are. And um, being polite is how we're raised. And it really Mm -hmm. made me mad they were taking advantage of that. Like just coming into her house, asking her how much her couches cost. Like, get out of here. This is why you don't know your neighbors. I mean, I don't. So I guess that is a good point. Oh, I just wrote like an entire thing about how like, yeah, no, the devil's terrible and cults are terrible. But having the person you love and trust the most 
do yeah. this to you and then continue like it also really pisses me off that like he won't touch her or show her any affection after this mm-hmm. like the most generous portrayal of that could be that he feels ashamed but he clearly isn't doesn't feel ashamed right. no. it's that he's kind of disgusted by her right. and that makes me even more angry that she's clearly like emotionally wilting mm-hmm. because he is pulling away so much and she can tell and she's so isolated and it's so sad like when the baby finally starts kicking he won't even let her put her hand to her stomach put his hand to her stomach Mm -hmm. it's really sad when you think about her not knowing what's going on and it just makes me hate him more because I'm like you did this like fuck you worst I just kept writing I hate this yeah yeah I thought that a lot I don't know what it was the response to, but I wrote, it's not your fault, Rosemary, and in parentheses, she should murder him. Can we talk about how she has that one friend who wants to help her, and then they, Guy helps him. That's the thing, is Guy continues to help them put mm-hmm. her friends in comas and murder people, and that poor actor they blinded. I'm sorry you're not talented enough to right. get these roles yourself, but fuck you. Like, oh, I really liked the doctor telling her not to read books. Yes. Or talk to her friends. (laughs) I need to be your only source of information is the biggest red flag in the entire world. Mm -hmm. It's so terrifying because she knows something is wrong. Like she is just in constant pain. Everyone who is outside of their bubble who sees her is like, you look terrible and you've lost weight. And like, She did look terrible and she's a very beautiful woman and they made her look really scary. Like, Mm -hmm. and in a sense, and that's another thing that this movie hits that Roman Polanski is a man and a rapist and not a good enough person to like be able to hit on. But the way women are actually ignored by medical professionals to this day. Right. And it's gotten better than it was in the sixties, but it's still not great. And so like the fact of, how difficult those um, conversations can be, especially um, for women mm-hmm. uh, and minorities. And like, I was like, I know that's not what this movie's trying to say, but like, and I get that it's because he's part of the cult, but even if not, like these are real things that happen. Yeah. Like you have all those women who are her friends when she decides to have that party and he keeps trying to isolate her and come in uh-huh. between. And they are like, this is not okay. Like this isn't right. Mm-hmm. And that is so that argument is so sad and so terrifying because again removing the devil aspect <laughs> it's a real thing yes like the way he just starts going off on her bitch friends and like all these things mm-hmm. and like you're going to you know that's disrespectful to the doctor and she's like the doctor yes like And she is just freaking out and he is just like screaming at her about like, no, this is what you have to do. And, you know, you should get a second opinion from a person he recommends. Like, it's so and like, it's so terrible. And it's just like, I'm not going to pay for that. And like, da, 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 da. Like, it's really awful. And it's just also how um, people get isolated again in a normal non-demon sense. Like. And it's really sad. It is really sad. And she does. She knows something is wrong. She mm-hmm. she knows the whole time something is wrong. Because, like, even if pregnancies are all a little bit different, you've seen a pregnant woman before. Yes. And that's yes. not what happens. Yes. You know that, like, 
when you are trying to grow a person, you should not be losing weight. I felt really bad for Hutch. He's the only person because even her friends at the party, we don't really get any follow through. We don't know mm-hmm. what happens there, but we know Hutch does like, right. we know. And that's the other thing. He doesn't fucking care about the fact that they murdered Hutch. Yep. Like they didn't need to murder him because like they just needed to incapacitate him for the extent of until she has the baby. Cause then what mm-hmm. they were going to take it from her anyway. Right. Like, well, they did put him in a coma. Like, for a really long time maybe maybe it just maybe they took him off like life support or something not that i'm trying to defend this this devil cult but i wrote something being used to force women into compliance i mean who knows what that is but a lot of this was about that so who knows what that's about i mean financial dependence Mm -hmm. um authority i wrote authority authority. being used to force women into compliance yes like, do you think you think you know more than the doctor? Like, I know that I'm in constant pain and I'm losing weight and I look like mm-hmm. I'm about to pass out. Yep. The way he I- isolates her. Also, this is, again, not the most important thing, but what was she wearing to that funeral? Blue and white. I mean, she looked amazing, but it's, it's not appropriate funeral attire. She also did not close the taxi door when she exited. Is that like a 60s thing? The person had to reach through and close it himself. I'm like, what was that? Well, he was reaching for it before she was all the way out. So like maybe, maybe it was. And there's like a handle there that he could clearly reach, but no. Also, now that we're on to the smaller things, her haircut that she got halfway through the movie is incredible. And everyone who says it doesn't look good is wrong. Oh, I wrote something about that too. And it wasn't that it was, that's the iconic Rosemary's baby haircut. And she Mm -hmm. gets it done for no reason. I'm not saying it doesn't look good, but what is that? Like, why did she get it done? Like, why is that a plot point? No. And I'm not saying it's not cute. That could have been her hair the whole fucking time. We didn't need another reason to be like her husband's a douchebag. We already knew he was (laughs) like, it's just, it's one of those things where she gets her hair cut. She does. It's not like the ghost put gum in her hair or some weird <laughs> thing. Like, I was just like, I, I really didn't remember a lot about this movie. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, she really just got her hair cut apropos of nothing. Yeah. And it's the iconic look. And you're right. It looks good on her and they're all wrong. But I'm still like, why though? Like what, what is the point? That was some of the parts of this movie where I was like, I don't understand. Like, is that going to come into play? No. Like, I Um, I, I don't know what that is. When did she get the haircut? Was it when she finds out she's pregnant? Yeah. Because he keeps saying that the, he keeps saying that the, when that people are, you know, I don't look good. And he's like, it's just the hair. Like the hair is what's. Well, it's that classic trope that like you know when a woman enters a new like phase of her life she's got to change her hair also she goes to Vidal Sassoon for it yeah they're well connected it's just so weird it's just (laughs) such a weird I'm sorry it's a weird thing I like the hair it's weird also when um it's so sad how big the conspiracy is but can we talk about how that one doctor is not Mm. in on the conspiracy he just heard the name of an important man and decided he was going to help her until she said that name yeah and then it was like, oh, well, yep. like it was. And it's so weird because it's like, what exactly is your thought process there? This woman is afraid you're going to check her into the hospital. But then like 
a more important man is than you is brought up. And so all of a sudden it's like, oh, I should care. like, it's so sad when they come in and take her away. And it's like, she really is trapped. Yeah. I remember the first time I watched this, like just being so crushed when they showed up because it's, you, you, it's the first like little bit of hope you get in the entire movie. And then it's just gone. And also this time when I was watching it, because I knew that was coming, I was like, God, you should just get out of town. Like, don't go to this other doctor, leave town. Like it is 1966. You can go anywhere and they will never find you again. She also, we do know still has friends out there. Yeah. So it's like, definitely like go, go to one of them um, more than doctors who like, aren't your friends. Like right. they, they don't know her. Um, sort of a little bit of a funny thing, but when they force her back to her apartment and she like locks them all out and then you see them sneaking behind her yes, because they were doing it the way I would do it. Like with big feet, like they were in a cartoon. And I was like, that's not appropriate. You did it like Bugs Bunny. Yes. (laughs) And I'm like, that's how that's, that, that's why there was a, that's why there was a fucking chest against that, like. That would I'm sorry. I just watched too many horror movies. That'd be the first thing I'd think as I would be like, mm-hmm. oh, it's because there's some kind of passage in here. Right. Like, especially since they talk multiple times about the fact that it used to be the same apartment mm-hmm. and the, the piece de resistance of this movie. Yes. They tell her the baby died and then blame her for it. Yeah. Yeah. I hate them all so much. And the fact that that baby doesn't murder them all for his mother. I mean, come on, Adrian, get older (laughs) and murder your mother's enemies. Murder mommy's enemies, demon baby, (laughs) is all I'm saying. That's what she should do is she should raise him to take vengeance. Yeah. You know what? Good point. And if Satan says anything, be like, unless you're going to raise this child with me or you're going to like provide child support, then like I get to raise him to kill whoever I want. He can do your bidding when he gets 18. Like, (laughs) but no, they blame her. And I was like, Mm -hmm. that's so unnecessary and so mean, especially since they tell her the baby's fine. Yeah. Also, do you notice that she calls the baby it? She knows Mm -hmm. there's something wrong with it. She always Mm -hmm. calls the baby it. Yep. Sometimes when she's talking to it, she says like a boy and a girl name, but when she's talking mm-hmm. about it, she says it. Yeah. Oh, multiple times a guy says something is the worst thing to happen to her. And every time I said to the screen, you're the worst thing to happen to her. <laughs> he is the worst thing to happen to her. The way that he must justify this to himself. And when he says to her, I, in my head, I thought she slapped him. Spitting in his face is fine too, but yeah. I thought she slapped him. But when he's like, we're just going to leave and go to Hollywood and like, you know, whatever it'd be. It's like if the baby did die, it's like, you've been gaslighting her for nine months. You let the devil rape her and you basically imprisoned her. And then you let them make her think her baby died. And it was her Jesus motherfucking Christ. (laughs) Like, what must you think to be like, oh, we're just going to go. We'll have more kids. It's totes fine. Yeah. No, I can't get inside the mindset of someone like that. Also, um showing her face rather than showing the baby that is a perfect choice Mm -hmm. because there's no way that it wouldn't look sort of comical right and so just having her face be Mm -hmm. like what did you do to it i mean we do get like a flash of the baby like over top her face 
Yeah, and they do say his hands and his feet and his eyes, which yeah. make you think they're claws, which that even is worse to me. I'm like, is he a normal looking baby except he has like claws? Like that's he even has weirder. His eyes. <laughs> but also the way that that whole the problem for me is I think that whole scene is really funny. Tell me more. They all just start chanting Hail Satan and they're all like 80 years old. <laughs> it's objectively funny. <laughs> like, and the way that woman's like his hands and his feet. Like it is, it is not really a spooky scene. It's very like I also though, I also think it's funny that like their perspective on it is also sort of funny because it's like there are a few who seem to be like sort of negative towards her, but most of them are like, oh, hey, it's Adrian's mom. Like, yeah. this is amazing. And she's like, oh, honey, just have some tea. There's nothing in it. We're done with all that. It's like, <laughs> like, like we are friends now. Like we can, we can be buddies now, like now that it's all over. And it's like when that one woman's all mad because she's like, except when she accepts her role as the mother, you know, and it's like goes over and she's like, you're rocking him too hard. Mm -hmm. Like, that's why he's crying. And it's like, it's such a weird ending because I don't necessarily think it's sad, any sadder than the rest of the movie. Mm -hmm. Like, it's sort of like, what well, the only thing that would have been better is if everyone would have died, right. like, except her. But it's right. like, that is her baby. And if she's choosing to be like, well, this is my baby, hopefully it'll get older and avenge his mother. You gotta yeah. hope it. Gotta but it's like, it. I don't really know other than her somehow murdering them all at the end, which that would have been really funny. Yeah. And then she could have like been like, I'm gonna take the baby. I'm also gonna take the baby. Or murder baby the baby. Now. Or murder the baby. I'm not raising the devil's baby. Unless he's providing child support. <laughs> he doesn't. He's in a different dimension or whatever. He doesn't have money. He has to have something. Why are all these people worshiping him? He has the ability to give money. She mm -hmm. has to do like a spell every month like they did to curse people. But to be like, yes. you said you'd take him to Little League. Like he was waiting <laughs> for you. I'm in a different dimension, Rosemary. <laughs> like it's just all very odd. I've always found the idea of like a child antichrist though to be really funny. Because yeah. like it doesn't really work, I think in a serious way. Like not that kids can't be scary in horror movies, mm -hmm. but I'm like so you're going to just like raise baby Satan just like go through teething and like <laughs> a phase where they just want to listen to that one baby shark song all over again. Like it just, it's, it takes away some of the spooky to me, like the initial, <laughs> like, Oh my God, you were raped by the devil. And now you, this is like the devil's baby. But then the idea that it's, it's literally a baby. Like, does mm -hmm. it have any powers? Well, he's going to end seem the world. Like it. I mean, yeah, but like, when not do those now. powers manifest? Yes, but not now. Like they seem the ones who don't trust her seem genuinely afraid that she could kill it. Which makes me think that at this point, it's just a baby with claws, which Yellow then eyes. I have to wonder, do they have to trim the baby's nails like you do a real baby? Because you know how sharp those are. I mean, anything that has like nails or claws, you do. You got to trim them. So yeah. And don't you think that would remove some of the horror for you? <laughs> like, I'm just saying that the devil's baby is one of those things that's scary the 
fewer, the, the less you go into it. When you're yeah. like me and you can't stop thinking about it, <laughs> it becomes a little bit less scary when I'm like, does he go to Jimboree? I mean, he needs other kids. So he just has no friends his own age. Like, and by end the world, is it like end the world in a war way? Or is he just going to like start his own cult and end the world that way? Is yeah, he going to start say. a multi-level man uh, marketing scheme <laughs> in the world? <laughs> He's the guy, he's the guy who started the thing where you can do like a timeshare in Florida. Yes. I mean, everyone survived this movie except Hutch. So, although I'm not sure I'd survive this movie if I was the friend of someone this was happening to, because I wouldn't leave them. Like I would be the Hutch. So in that respect, I I might die because I would, I wouldn't stop Mm -hmm. because there's clearly something wrong. Yeah. Good point. Also, before we move on, can we talk about her dream where Hutch isn't allowed on the boat because he's not Catholic? I forgot about that. Catholics only. I was like, what is this dream? Uh, no, that was that was one of the, the big ones for me where I was like, I don't think this man's a very good director. Because what the, what the fuck are we watching right now? Like, Obviously, once we get over to the apartment, it makes more sense. Or wait, no, she's in, I don't know. I can't remember the order of that dream. But like, when she's aware of what was going on, it's better. But like, that dream is so weird. So unnecessary. All right, tell me a story. Okay, so this, there is no direct inspiration for this. It was just written by a guy who like, his wife was pregnant and he was like, hmm, What if this, what if a pregnancy were like this? So I decided to dive into some satanic panic stuff. And I'm specifically going to do the McMartin preschool trial because it's not the first like case in the satanic panic, but it is the biggest one that really kind of kicked everything off. My primary source for this was famoustrials.com, which is run by a law professor at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. And then a New York Times article where they kind of like covered the satanic panic in general, which I just briefly, if anyone doesn't know what that is, there was a period in the 80s and early 90s where it was like a big conspiracy theory that various people were um, sexually abusing children as part of like satanic cult rituals. A lot of them were in preschool. A lot of the accusations were in preschools, but like individuals got caught up in it too. It's like a weird moral panic. But this is like the big one. It's the longest, most expensive trial in, I think they said American history, um, at least up until that point. So in Manhattan Beach, California, 1983, a parent called the police to report that her son had been sexually abused at his preschool um, by a man named, by a teacher there named Ray Bucky. And I am not going to include that parent's name because she had schizophrenia. So she was like untreated schizophrenia and we don't need to know her name. I am, however, going to include the names of all the authority figures who let this spiral out of control because it became clear very quickly as this woman kept calling with like more outlandish accusations that she had some sort of mental illness and the police just kept going with it. So after this first, was it the first call? I don't know. The police searched the teacher's house and they didn't find any evidence that he had done anything. They did find a playboy, like a graduate, like a graduation robe and like some toys, which they 
took as evidence, but that is not evidence of anything. And then Ray Bucky was arrested on September 7th, 1983. The next day, police chief uh, Harry Colmeyer sent a letter to all the parents of kids at McMartin Preschool to let them know that this man had been arrested. I see you're laughing. Let me get through it first. Let me get through it first, Meg. And then told them to ask their children if they had seen anything or if they had personally been victims of any sort of sexual act, including oral sex, fondling, sodomy, or if they'd had their photos taken. And that's like almost a direct quote from the letter. They were also instructed to ask their kids if they had ever seen Ray take children out of the room during nap time, or if they had ever been tied up. But just wait, Meg, they ended the note by go the letter by going, okay, now keep this all confidential and don't discuss it among yourselves. Now we don't have time to unpack all that. I had some of my favorite points. <laughs> yes, please. So first of all, I studied this case mm-hmm. um, for my criminal justice background. We study it as um, my specialization was victimology as this mm-hmm. being just like one of the worst case for so many reasons. First of all, the reason this a lot of these things happened with preschoolers is because they're really hard to interview and they're really hard to get like a clear story. That's why it's a specialization to be a child interviewer right. for children this young because they're so susceptible Right. And they just, it's really, their language is really, you know, their language skills. And they, Um, yeah, because their language skills are so limited, they're not the best at like telling you what happened in real life and what they imagined or saw on TV. Like it all comes out as though it's a thing that they actually experienced. And some of that is like, maybe cognitively, they can't tell the difference, but it's also their language skills are such that they can't say, I imagined that. Like, that's a really complicated sentence. Also, um, when it comes to kids testifying, one of the base things you have to be able to establish is do they know the difference between a lie and the truth? Mm-hmm. And that sounds really dumb, but it's like kids don't always, right. when they're really, really little, know the difference like right. between a lie and the truth. But the other thing, this note, if you are listening to this podcast, I just want you to imagine getting this note about your child's preschool. Yeah. Like it's so inappropriate. It's so just to the wall crazy, like mm-hmm. to pass this out to parents and basically say, hey, don't freak out or anything, but we have reason to believe your small child that you left in the care of others while you most likely had to go to work or do that was raped or abused mm-hmm. in some way. Why don't you just like casually ask them about it over, you know, Play-Doh or something. Yeah. But like, don't, but like be chill about it. Like <laughs> be chill. Like they literally use the phrase oral sex in relation to children. Like mm-hmm. what, ch- what parent is not going to lose their goddamn oral mind? and sodomy and sodomy and they're going to absolutely lose their mind and also it's like how can you reasonably be believed to have a conversation like a police officer a psychiatrist should be interviewing these kids and i know we'll get there but Mm -hmm. like a competent one like the idea (laughs) that the parents are going to be like like you're not qualified to ask these questions Mm -mm. and to get these answers and also again it's not malice but kids that age lie they make up shit And that's the thing about being around kids is sometimes you just got to be like, oh, really? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm." Like they don't know what they're talking about. Like that's also why it is difficult to establish when something has been done to a child. Like, and where it usually requires evidence beyond the actual goddamn child Mm -hmm. because it's so hard sometimes to get them to be able to properly. That's why there's so much therapy and like dolls and things like that Mm -hmm. because they don't 
really know what's happening sometimes. Right. Anyway, that letter is so crazy. Uh I can't, I can't handle that letter. Um, which if you go to the famous trials.com, um, which has a hyphen in the middle and obviously we'll link to it. They include the letter. Like I didn't read it because like, I just read like the overview, but there are a bunch of links on the side where they have like that letter that they sent home, like sample interview scripts, all kinds of stuff. But also for the record, it's not like this was a tiny little preschool. They sent this letter to 200 parents, 200 families got this letter. And then they were like, okay, but don't freak out and like, don't talk to anyone about it. And then as this is going on, the original parent who filed the report, like her stories really start to escalate. She says that Ray Bucky's mom, Peggy, was also involved and that she was doing satanic rituals. One of her stories is that she took her son to a church, beheaded a baby in front of him, and then made him drink the baby's blood during preschool. And then just a bunch of other things like that. Like, it was so clear that this woman was emotionally unstable and really couldn't tell the difference between reality and her delusions. And it never should have gone further than this report. But then, as as you hinted, a, we'll say in quotes, child psychologist gets involved. And her name is Key McFarlane. And she is one of the primary fuck villains. Her. Yeah, she, she might be the primary villain of this story. She worked at the Children's Institute International and she interviewed 400 children. And these interviews would typically be about two hours long. And she would ask a lot of leading questions. She would offer rewards for, you know, basically giving the answers that she wanted. And then she and some other people would be like, well, you know, other kids said that, you know, this thing happened and which isn't exactly a leading question, but it's still very manipulative because again, as we discussed, children don't know the difference between reality and fantasy a lot of the time. So like, oh yeah, yeah, what's up? Oh, I was just gonna say, you and I, we know children, you work with children. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine sitting across the table for two hours straight with a with a young child trying like to keep their attention to answer your questions, like interviewing them. Like I can, you know, like it's like 20 minutes on Skype with a kid mm-hmm. trying to keep them 100% focused on you is like an Olympic activity, mm-hmm. let alone like two hours with a small child trying to get them to be like, what happened to you is so crazy. Mm-hmm. Also, a lot of the times when they would ask a kid, I mean, did this ever happen? The kids would go, no. And then they would ask the kid again and again. And they'd be like, well, other kids say it did happen. And eventually the kid starts to go, um, yeah, I guess it did happen. And they would add to it because they're children, but they're not stupid. They know when you're trying to get them to say something and children are very eager to please. And also you're an authority figure and you're someone who's just older and smarter and knows more. So they're like, well, if you're saying this happened, okay, I guess it did happen. Like I saw a couple different like transcripts and every single one of them was like that. Like, did this happen? No. Are you sure it didn't happen? Because someone, so-and-so said it did. And then they could just go, um, and then like, that's where a lot of those like transcripts like ended. Cause again, I didn't read all of that stuff. Just the overall story took me like 45 minutes to read. So in March of 1984, so it's been six or seven months at this point, 
she, after she's interviewed 400 children, she comes back and says that 384 of them have been sexually abused. Now you might want to do that math and realize that comes to 96%. I'm sorry, if 96% of the children at this preschool were being abused, somebody would have noticed something. Mm -hmm. They also had a doctor. Her name was Astrid Hager. She did perform physical exams on 150 children. And she concluded that 80% of them had been abused. But the thing is, a lot of other researchers disagree with this because they looked at the slides and they say there is absolutely no difference between these slides and children who have been abused, children who have haven't been abused. There's absolutely no correlation. When actual researchers did blind studies, they came to the conclusion that there was nothing to be found here. So on March 22nd, 1984, they indicted seven people. Ray and Peggy Bucky were indicted also Ray's sister, Peggy Ann, and then Virginia McMartin, who founded the preschool, and then three other teachers, which we don't really need to include their names. Um, Let them live their private lives. They were indicted on 115 counts of child sexual abuse. And after two months, they added 93 more counts, like just a bonkers amount of crimes were allegedly committed. The preliminary hearing started in August of 1984. The prosecutor, Lael Rubin, claimed that there were actually 397 crimes committed and that 30 more people were being investigated. But none of that ever really came to to the surface. The families of the children in this preschool actually excavated an empty lot next to the school because there were supposedly hidden tunnels under it, you know, where they did their, their satanic rituals and they never found anything because obviously they didn't find anything. None of this ever happened. And also from here on out, I bring up Key McFarlane again. And every time I follow it up with in parentheses, this bitch, because fuck this bitch. Is this the one, is this the one, by the way, where the kids started telling really, really crazy stories? Cause they just started telling more and more insane stories. We'll get to some of these insane stories. Cause there's, there's one that I don't know if you'll bring up. I'll wait and see, but there's one that's definitely my favorite where I'm like, that's a great story, kid. Like that's, this is a horrible story in general, but that story, like, good job with that. I just like, are you going to go into why they did this? Um, Why? Why? I really don't have time to go into why I'll touch on it a little bit. Um, but again, this just ended up being so long that I really had to like narrow the scope. But anyway, this bitch, Key McFarland, I'm going to say her name every time, commit it to memory. She's awful. She testified that the reason this was able to go on for so many years, completely undetected, is that the children were in denial and that they were afraid for their lives and the lives of their families. This is just like a funny part for me. Um, so we can mock this woman. She, she did use puppets and things like that, the way that like actual child therapists do. But here are the names of some of these puppets. Mr. Snake, Mr. Alligator, Detective Dog, and Mr. Sparky. Now those are stupid names, but also what kind of animal is Mr. Sparky? He's the only one that we don't know. Which again, I only bring that up because I want you to know that Key McFarlane is a hack and a fraud and she can't even come up with good names for her puppets. So some children did actually testify. And again, this is just the preliminary hearing, which just a quick note, preliminary hearings are usually very short. This one went on for a very long time. This one went on for like two full years because, well, first of all, because they were indicting seven people on 
over 300 counts of child sexual abuse. But like the defense also like went way in, like they put together a really strong, like very active defense because it was so bonkers. Like, how could you not? But we're going to get to my, my favorite story. Well, no, we'll do some small things first. Like the children testified that they had been assaulted on like farms and at the circus and at the car wash, which like they're, they're literally in Los Angeles County where, how are they getting to farms and back in the middle of the day? Um, in that traffic, they claim that, you know, animal sacrifices happened, which again, they never found any evidence of animal sacrifices happening. But my favorite story is that they went out to a cemetery. They, the children were forced to dig up coffins. And when they opened the coffins, the teachers like cut up the bodies and I think maybe ate them, which again, keep in mind, all of this would have to happen in the middle of the school day. Mm -hmm. Who's, who's digging up coffins in the middle of the day with a bunch of children and not getting caught. That's why that one's my favorite story. What was your favorite story? The one where the toilet moved. The one where it's like that one. It's basically that that's where the tunnels are that they like, they go, they go like into the toilet to get them. It's either Harry Potter. It's either that it's moved or that they're flushed down, like something where it's like, (laughs) that's how you got to the tunnels. And I'm like, I just don't understand why no one had the courage in that police department or that prosecutor to be like, this story is nonsense. Like you ever talk to a child, like Mm -hmm. this is the kind of shit they say if you just let them keep going. Yeah. Well, throughout the preliminary hearing, a lot of like police officers and people in the, in the DA's office were starting to be like, I think we should drop this case. This doesn't seem like a real case. So in December of 1985, so again, preliminary hearing starts in August of 1984. In December of 1985, they drop charges against five of the people who are indicted. So they end up just trying Ray and Peggy Bucky. And at this point, it has cost LA County $4 million, which is $9.7 million in modern money. And they haven't even gone to trial yet. Like this is just the investigation and pretrial. But before we get to the actual trial, so there are some people making a documentary for it. They turn in footage to, I think, the judge of the prosecutor where the, like, the prosecutor admits the kids are just embellishing and embellishing their stories and that they have no business going to trial. And the prosecutor admits on tape that they have withheld evidence from the defense, number one, that the original reporter has schizophrenia and that her son could not identify Ray in a police lineup. They admit on tape that this whole trial is bullshit, which you would think would get the charges dropped, but it doesn't. They actually go to trial in July of 1987. It's been three years since the preliminary hearing began and we finally go to trial. This bitch, Key McFarland, testified for five weeks in this trial. And during her testimony, it becomes increasingly clear that she's coercing these stories out of kids because like I, based on what I had described earlier, this is a real quick thing that I just think is really cute and funny. But part of the prosecution's argument was going to be that like, Ray had this weird thing about pyramids where he thought that like, I don't know, he had like some sort of spiritual thing about pyramids and they were like, see, this is proof that he is um, Satan or that he's into Satan, which I've never heard of any connection between period 
pyramids and Satan. And if there is, there's absolutely no way it's not racist. But he even had a little pyramid hat. And the guy who um, ended up putting all this together owns that pyramid hat to this day. And I think that's really cute. Which, like, let the guy live his life. He's into pyramids and he owned one Playboy. God damn. The, the jury finally starts to deliberate in November of 1989. They spent two and a half months deliberating. Because, again, I don't, actually can't remember how many counts. They're... I think it's like still at like near a hundred. Um, and they come back saying that he is not guilt, that they're not guilty on all, but 13 counts. Those 13 counts are all against Ray. So Peggy is found not guilty on all counts. Ray is found not guilty on all, but 13 counts. And those were just, um, the jury was deadlocked. They couldn't decide. So they go to a second trial, which they decide to try him for only eight counts. And this trial only takes three months. It also ends in a hung jury. So there it's declared a mistrial and the DA declined to prosecute it for a third time because this had gone on for seven years. It cost $15 million, which in today's money is somewhere between 30 and $40 million. Holy shit. Yeah. LA is such a joke. (laughs) (laughs) And also um, Ray Bucky did spend five years in jail Um, and the McMartin preschool was demolished and it is now a dry cleaners. So it's a real bummer because like, again, fuck key McFarlane because she ruined seven people's lives and traumatized 400 children and their families and also an entire community. And as far as I know, she has never like admitted she was wrong. I think she's stuck to that forever. So yeah, I don't, it's a lot. It's just, there's a lot to unpack. And like, I've kind of covered, this is like the second like moral panic that I've covered on this podcast. The other one was the clown sightings, which was way more whimsical. And it's still kind of hard to say what causes a moral panic. It's like a really, it's, it's a, oh my God, the satanic panic. There are so many things that go into it. Cause there's also this whole D and D element that I didn't talk about, like not necessarily in this, but like part of the satanic panic was dungeons and dragons is turning our children into Satan worshipers. Well, and I more meant when I said, are you going to go into why less the idea of like what a moral panic is? Cause that is something that's really complicated. Yeah. I more meant like, was there anything as to why the particular authority figures involved in this were? Cause really I've, know. I mean, the, the basis probably is, is pretty, pretty sad and pretty mundane, which is that once some of these things, the ball gets rolling, no one wants to admit that they were wrong. And no one wants to admit that the county has wasted all this money and time prosecuting innocent people. And so they tend to just like ride that straight to hell, like ride that false. And like that happens a lot in our criminal justice system where like it gets rolling and like so much money and time's been invested that like saying like we were wrong to go down this road or whatever becomes like to them impossible. I also think that there was never any going back after they sent that letter to 200 parents because there's no way you can be like, Hey, we told you that we think maybe your children are being sexually abused. And then to just be like, ah, never mind, We were wrong. Like the parents aren't going to be able to accept that. Like, would you, would you be able to accept that? Like, uh, just kidding. Nothing happened. Like you there, want there was some no retribution. Yes. If, if they, if, if it was that, Hey, that was set by a mistake. Like I would then be pissed. I'd be like, well, someone yep. is going to get blamed for, is going to have to take it for like 
terrifying me mm-hmm. like and making me think that and like traumatizing me and my child yeah just a lot of a lot of mistakes i think some intentional bad actors like key mcfarland fuck her yeah no i don't and then the thing is like this was such a big story that this is what kicks off like all like the similar stories around the country um and i you know we haven't even touched on the fact that the media fucking ran with this mm-hmm. like the media has a lot to do with this as well. Like there are a lot of bad actors in this story because the thing is everyone was watching the news about this. Like you're not going to not watch this. So it's a lot. Mm -hmm. And I don't know which is worse because I was just thinking that too. They're so different. It's so different. Yes. They're worse and they're terrible in such different ways. We really are. We'll leave it at that. Um, Thank you for joining us on this journey. It was it was quite a journey this episode it, for it me really and Rachel. We really went Rachel went really really hard on the satanic panic. I went really hard describing how baby satan is actually not that scary <laughs> and how I think way too much about stuff like that. <laughs> we will see you guys next week when my pick will be sinister. Real excited about this one. We will see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.